48, verse 2, Psalm 148, verse 2, and verse 5. studying angels, the doctrine of angels. We looked at the existence of angels and the order of angels Sunday morning, and this morning we will look at the nature of angels and results from there, the nature of angels. Psalm 148, verse 2, Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Lord Jesus, upon the preaching and teaching of your word. As God, that you inspire me, Lord God, to declare it. Lord, I plead your blood over my mind, heart, soul, spirit, body. Thank you, God, for your cleansing power, forgiving all sin. Lord Jesus, remove any hindrance, we pray, God, from the declaration of your word this morning. We ask God, your people, God, give them the ability to hear and receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, the nature of angels, they are created beings, created beings. Psalm 148, verse 5, it tells us, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. All right? So angels are not uh, like God forever and ever eternal. They were created by God. That means they had a beginning in time. They are limited, unlike God, who is unlimited. And not only are they limited, but they are dependent on the Lord God. Amen. So, created beings. Now, when were they created? Go to Job. The book of Job in the 38th chapter. We see the timing of their creation. Although the Bible is not real clear as to the exact time of creation. But we do know that they were around when God laid the foundation of the earth. So Job 38 and verse 4. Give me just a moment to find that. As to when were they created? Okay, verse 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. That tells us here about the foundations of the earth, the foundation of creation. The scripture tells us that the morning stars shouted for joy when that took place. They also called the sons of God in verse 7. So as to when they were created, again, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically. We just know in association with creation, at some point they were created and they were created before the foundation of the world so that they were actually involved in worshiping God. And as God was being praised and worshiped, then he began to do his creative work and power in that atmosphere of glory and that atmosphere of worship. All right, so we know that they were existent as God began to lay the foundations 
of the earth. So that gives us a general idea as to the time of their creation. Okay? Number two, they are spirit beings. Colossians 1.16. Testament Colossians 1.16. They are spirit beings. I won't have time to look at every verse of scripture this morning, but we'll look at a few of them. In the New Testament book of Colossians. One sixteen. Speaking of God, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So they are spirit beings, but we need to understand something about their makeup. Even though they're spirit beings and they're sort of like the wind, God's spirit's like the wind. They are not ether. That means they're not just spread out everywhere. They do have a form, okay? So they're invisible spirit beings, but they have a celestial body. So they do have a form of some kind. Now, we can't see them with our natural eye unless God allows us to see them. But you need to understand that they're not just ether. Does that make sense? Okay? They do have a form, a body form of some kind. And it would be called a celestial body. Even though they are spirit, they still have the ability to take on human form. And they have the ability to become visible. So as spirits, like the wind, are invisible. They have a celestial body, but they have the ability to go through a what's called transformation. A spirit transformation gives the ability for a spirit to take on a physical form. Okay? So they have a celestial body right now in an invisible state, but they can become visible and they can take on a physical form like a human body like we have. Okay? Okay, praise the Lord if you understand that. Now, in, uh, let's go over to Genesis 18.8. You will see that they did things like a human would do. Genesis 18 and verse 8. with me up to this point. Okay. The Bible says in verse 8, He took butter and milk and the calf which he had pressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. What are you talking about? Well, the Bible tells us in the 18th chapter to 19th chapter of Genesis that it was the Lord that appeared there to Abraham He's in the middle of these two angels. So there's two angels with the Lord that appeared with him. The Bible's very clear on that. So Abraham prepares food. He sets that food before those angels and the Lord, and they eat. So angels have the ability to go through a spirit transformation, which means to take on a formal, physical body with the ability to do what people do. Just like people eat, angels ate here in this passage. Okay, go to 19 and 3. Let me just back up to verse 1 so you know who we're talking about here. There came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. He 
bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. They said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Okay? So it's very clear. It did not, verse 1 tells us, these were angels. They go into Lot's house, and they eat food. So they have the ability to go through a spirit transformation, even though their bodies are celestial until they do that, they can change. Okay, you understand that? All right, if you do say praise the Lord. They have the ability to change from a physical or from an invisible form to a physical form, from a spirit body to a physical body. But this is also something you realize they have the ability to change back into the spirit body. Okay? They can go from a spirit body to a spirit transformation to a physical body, and then they can go back from a physical body as in a spirit transformation back to a spirit body. Okay? Did you, realize, did you know that? Kind of? No? Okay. They are immortal. First Timothy 6.16. They aren't eternal like God is. That means they had a beginning, uh, but they are immortal. They cannot die. You cannot kill them. Right, 1 Timothy 6.16. Okay, the Bible talks about the Lord here who only hath immortality, dwelling the light which no man can approach unto. Who no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor, power, uh, everlasting. Amen. So, like God is immortal, these angels are immortal. They were created by the Lord. They will live forever and ever. The difference between the angels and us is we can be killed physically, but an angel cannot be killed physically. You can't kill him with bombs. You can't kill him with rifles, guns, anything like that. Knives. You cannot kill an angel. Because they are spirit beings, they are immortal. Okay, so they can dwell in the outer regions of space in very cold places, and they're not affected by the cold. And they can go, they can walk right into the sun, and will not destroy an angel because they are immortal. Right, that means they cannot be killed. They're not subject to any type of temperature. They're not subject to any type of physical weapon. Amen. Uh, in fact, even the fallen angels will live forever and ever in hell. So they're not consumed in hell, even in that type of heat. So they are immortal. Now, they are a company, not a race. Let's go to uh, Hebrews 2.16. Humanity is a race of people. But angels are not a race of people. They are a company of angels. Hebrews 2.16. The Bible is telling us here, uh, when Jesus came to the world, verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So they are not human beings. 
They are not a race. They are a company, a company of angels. Does that make sense? Because they're not a race, they do not marry. They don't have marital relationships like humanity does. We are a race of people. We get married. We have children. We have offspring. But angels are not like that. They are a company. They are a host. They were created by God, and they do not get married. Okay? Well, let's go to Luke 20, 35. They which shall be accounted worthy to attain that world and the resurrection uh, from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. See that? All right, so the resurrection here, the Bible tells us, we will neither marry or are given in marriage in that time and then we're in heaven and we're like the angels in that sense. Okay? So the Bible tells us here then that these angels, they are not a race. They don't get married like we do. In the resurrection, we're not going to get married. But it doesn't say that they don't have the ability to have sexual relationships. See, sometimes people read into the scripture things that are not there. They say, okay, well, uh, angels, you know, they don't marry whatever, so they, and they're sexless. That's what some people say. Angels are always referred to in the masculine sense. Okay? They are never referred to as a female. So angels are not female. They are masculine. Even though they are spirit beings, they are always referred to as masculine. There is no such thing as a female angel. So if an angel comes to you in the form of a female, that is not a holy angel of God. It would have, it would have to be a fallen angel that's taken on a personification of a woman. Because in the Bible, holy angels are always spoken of in the masculine gender. Now, what does the Bible say in Luke? It says they don't marry. Because they neither marry or are given in marriage. But it doesn't say they don't have the ability have relationships. So angels are always seen in the masculine gender. They do have a celestial body. They can take on the form of a physical body. And just like they can eat, they can also have relationships with women. Now, what you need to understand is this, that a holy angel will not seek a relationship with a woman. Only a fallen one, a fallen angel, will seek that kind of relationship, and it's happened in the past. So let's go over to the Bible and look at Jude 6. You understand what I'm trying to teach you this morning? You know, some people say, Luke 20, well, that means they can't have sex, sexual relationships. No, it just simply says they don't marry. That means it's, okay, watch this. Angels, because they're spoken of in the masculine gender, you never hear about a female angel because there's no female angels in heaven. 
So a, a male, a masculine angel doesn't have a relationship with a female angel and have little baby in them. They don't propagate that like we do. Okay? God created them. And because there is no need to replenish the population of the angelic host, there's no reason for them to marry and have relationships, male angels with female angels, and produce little baby angels that grow up and become adult angels. Because they are immortal, remember? So there's no need for a replenishing of that angelic host. They're innumerable. But the reason why God allows man to procreate and to have babies is so that the human race will be replenished because we are physical. Okay? But again, that doesn't mean that if an angel chooses to fall and sin against God, that they can't have that kind of relationship. They will seek it out. Okay, let's go over into the book of Genesis. Like I said, Jude first. Let's go Jude 6. Okay, Jude 6 and 7, talking about the angels. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains. What happened? They didn't keep their first estate. That means that, for example, if God put them in a certain principality, he told them to rule over a certain national uh, geographical location or some specific distinct individual God told them this is your assignment okay but these angels in this passage decided to rebel against that and they left their responsibility whatever that responsibility was whatever that position was okay they decided I don't want to do this anymore they exercised self will against God they left their first estate, their assignment, okay? They left their place. And then so the Bible goes on and says, and they left their own what? Habitation. He hath reserved into everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of the judgment, the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. All right, so God very clearly tells us that when they left their first estate or they left their habitation, they got involved in relationships, fornication, with strange flesh. That means they entered into relationships with people or women who had a different nature than they did. That's why it's called strange flesh. So for the angel to come down and to take on the form, uh, the physical form of a male and to have a relationship with a woman, that is strange flesh because the female woman is of different flesh than the angel is. Okay? So the Bible is very clear that these angels like Sodom and Gomorrah got involved with strange flesh, flesh that was different from themselves. Okay? Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously, we had, uh, in the Bible teaches us, sodomy, that they had male, men had relationships with men, women had relationships with women, 
the Bible says that is strange flesh because the flesh is different. The nature of the person is different. Okay? So if you have a woman with a woman, it's strange flesh. If you have a man with a man, that's strange flesh. Their nature is different. So the Bible telling us in verse 7, 6 and 7, that this is what the angels did. This is how they left their first estate and their habitation. And they came down and they fornicated, say fornicated, with strange flesh. And so God uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what the angels did. Okay? When did it happen? Genesis 6? Verse 1, Genesis 6, 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Unto who? Unto men. Right? That the sons of God. Give you time to catch up with me. I know that was a, what I just said is a lot to get in your head. And if you catch up with me, there's things I would have said. Okay? What do we have in the passage? Verse 1, we have daughters of men. These daughters of men are as a result of a relationship between a man and a woman. So we have physical daughters of men. And then we have the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim. Now, sons of God in the passage is a reference to the created angels. And they are called sons of God because they were created by God. You understand that? They were not begotten by God. They were created by God. And so they are called sons of God because they were be not begotten, but created by God. So the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God, listen to it very carefully, saw the daughters of men. You catch that? Now, here's what I want you to see real fast. It'll just, I don't have time to teach it all to you, but the point is, is that the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God, the angels, saw the daughters of men. The daughters of men are just physical women. The Beneha Elohim are the angels. They saw the what? Daughters of who? Men. It doesn't say they saw the daughters of Cain. Why, you, why am I saying that? Because by that time I pulled this chart out and I will show you in that teaching way back on the chart, they believe that the sons of God is the line, the godly line of Seth, and the daughters of men is the ungodly line of Cain. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the sons of God, the Benehoi Elohim, the angels, saw the daughters of men, not the daughters of so we're talking about daughters that could have been in the line of Seth. We're talking about daughters that could have been in the line of Cain as well. These are the daughters of men, those that are descendants of Adam. Okay? So when people stand up and say, this is not talking about angels having a relationship with women. This is talking about the godly line of Seth having a relationship with the ungodly line of Cain. They are wrong. The passage is talking about sons of God, the Beneho Elohim as seeing the daughters of men in general as a whole. It didn't matter if it was the daughters of the godly line of Seth or the daughters of Cain. 
point. So the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants, Nephilim, okay, in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. All right? So these are fallen angels. These are the ones that left their first estate. They are the ones that left their habitation, that got involved with strange flesh, something, somebody that's different from their nature, like the Sodomites did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Uh, you understand that? So the whole, whole point being is this is that they are a company, not a race. They do not get together with female angels because there's no such thing as female angels. And a male angel get together with a female angel and have little babies. They are a company. But they do have the ability to take on a physical body and have a relationship with women. But these are only fallen angels that do that. Holy angels do not seek out that kind of a relationship. Are you clear on that? Amen. Now notice it, it says right here, it says the sons of God. Correct? Can they hire on you? That's a reference to the angels. When we talk about angels, there's never in the Bible this term right here. You ready for this term? Neho Elohim is the, uh, the sons of God, but now this is a hard word for me to say, but Ba'ath Ha Elohim means the daughter of Elohim. Point being is this, you have the Neho Elohim, which is the sons of God, spoken of in a male gender, angels, but you never have daughters of Elohim or angels called daughters of Elohim because there's no such thing as female. Okay? Everybody clear on that? Well, let's go back to Luke 20, 35. And by the way, as you're turning back over there, I will tell you that this teaching was believed by uh, the Jewish interpreters of Scripture. And I'm, what I just shared with you about the coming down of the fallen angels as a relationship with daughters of men producing children. These children were the men of renown or the giants that were in the land of those days. This was something that was believed by Jewish interpreters. This is something that was believed by the early church all the way up to the fourth century. The only reason why it changed was because the Roman Catholic Church taught and practiced celibacy. Okay? So they changed the doctrine. Now, as we get further and further away from the Dark Ages and from the teaching of Catholicism, the majority of scholars teach this passage just like I just taught it to you, okay? All right, Luke 20, 35. Again, but they which will be counted worthy to obtain the, that world and the resurrection of the dead, neither marry 
nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of resurrection. It simply said, when we get resurrection, you will not marry in heaven. Okay? Praise God. And be like the angels. They don't get married, but they can have sexual relationships. Only following pursue that. Now, most of the time, when we see angels also, angels do not have wings. Some people think all the angels have wings. No. When they appeared in the Bible, they took on the form of a man. They didn't have wings. When they appeared, they appeared as men. So in the book of Hebrews, it talks about be careful to entertain strangers, for ye have entertained angels unawares. Okay, you with me here on this? Hebrews 13. The Bible's very clear. Sometimes there will be somebody, something that appears to you, you think it's a human being. Right? But God said, no, it's an angel. You've entertained angels unawares. And some people have entertained demons unawares. You would think that when an angel appears to you, they're going to have wings flapping on their back like this. That's not the case. Angels, as far as I know by the Bible, do not have wings. They can fly, but they don't have to have wings. Cherubim do, seraphim do, the living creatures do, but the Bible doesn't say the angels have wings. Okay? If they appear as a man, you know, on earth, what they do? They take their wings off and send them over to the side. And, I don't know, maybe that's Hollywood. Maybe in Hollywood they do. But in the Bible they don't. They don't take their wings off, set them off to the side, and appear as a man. So there's no female angels, there's no little baby angels. Angels don't have wings. They are always spoken of in the mas masculine gender, always, without exception. They are the Benaharlim, the sons of God, but they can have physical relationships with women. Only fallen people, okay? Every time I teach, this is just a problem. Do they look for marriage? Right. Right. Well, they have been in sexual relationship. I, to me, a lot of it's a mystery. I don't know exactly to what level it went, you know. But uh, all I know is that they fell. These were fallen ones that came down. And they had these physical relationships and produced children. You know what I'm saying? So, I, other than that, that's all I know. Okay. So, it's a little bit of a mystery. Even everything I do know is still a mystery. Okay. Thank the Lord. Anybody figured out what that <laughs> Seriously. All right. Uh, they are innumerable in uh, number. Means we don't know how many they are. But God knows how many there are. Let's go to Revelation 5 11. Good question, Dave. Thank you, Tom. All right, 5 11. Revelation 5 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Okay? Wow. I mean, that's a lot of angels. 
They are innumerable. We don't know how many they are. God does know how many they are. They're higher than men. Psalm 8, 1 through 4, the first song. In the original creation, higher than men. They were created first. They were created before man was created. And they are higher than men. Okay, turn to Psalm 8. Take time to do that. They're higher than men, created first, created before men, but in redemption, man is higher than they are. Okay? Once you get redeemed, once you become a born-again believer, then you are on a higher level than men. But in the original creation, uh, they are higher than men. So look at Psalm 8. Verses 1 through 4. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We have set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Okay? and the son of man that thou visitest him. Verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Okay? So verse 5, it says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And what is interesting, interesting is in the original Hebrew is Elohim. Thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim. Now this is really a big question because... If you teach that God just made man a little lower than Elohim, then he's higher than the angels in the passage. But they translated Elohim angels. Did they not? Page 5, look at it again. Thou hast made him a little lower than the what? Angels. But the Hebrew word is Elohim. That word is for God. It says man was created a little lower than Elohim, a little lower than God, if you take it literal like that. But they translated it angels. Why angels? Is it God or is it angels? Is man a little lower than God or is he a little lower than angels? Well, depending on how you're preaching, depending on how you teach it, okay? I will say this. If we look at it, just take it at face value, the Bible says that God made man a little lower than angels, even though the word, the word is Elohim. So that God calls angels Elohim. Now, they're not God-like the ones that bring God in the Bible. But he called them Elohim because they are like God. He also, in another passage in the Bible, he called man Elohim. Okay? And Jesus makes reference to it in the book of John. Where it's calling, where, it's where you know, the scripture calls man Elohim. Now, obviously, we're not God. And obviously the angels are not God. But the angels are God-like, and man is God-like in the sense that we were created in his image. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'll just leave it at face value here. I'm teaching you on angels. We'll just leave it like that. I won't try to get into too heavy of a situation here. But uh, verse 5, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Made him a little lower than Elohim, 
these angels are God's light. Okay? Hebrews 2 7. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, there whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testifying, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. So the New Testament, which still carries the word angel. Let's quote in verse 5 of Psalm 8. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did a set him over the works of thy feet. Okay? Obviously, uh, in the passages in Hebrews 1 and 2, it's teaching that Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of the angels, he's greater than the angels. But in reference to man, he says that he made us a little lower than the angels. Okay? So they're higher than man but inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1, Hebrews. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The answer is, he never said to an angel, This day have I begotten thee. He said that to his feet. Okay? With me? Hebrews 1 5 and then Hebrews 2 6. The Bible's teaching here that he did put the world to come in subjection to the Lord. <coughs> but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Understand that? Verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put the subjection of the world to come, whereof we speak. He's saying that he did that. He put the world to come in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is greater than the angels. Showing us that man is lower than angels. Look at Hebrews as early as you understand. As long as you go through it, just look at it. God is showing you that He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater. On and on and on. Okay. They have a free will. Uh, go back to Jude six. Angels have a free will. Jude verse six. We've already read this. I'll not read it again. It talks about the angels that kept not their first estate, left their own habitation. That means they have the ability to choose to depart from God. They have the ability to choose whether or not they're going to exercise self-will or they're going to obey the will of God. And so when they left their habitation, they, they left heaven, came down to the earth, and relationship with women, they left their habitation, the Bible says, and their first estate, that their place, their position. They said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to serve God anymore. I don't want to be over this principality anymore. And then they exercise self-will. That's teaching you that they had free will. They could choose. They could make a choice. And they did. Okay? Look at verse 9. Jude 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending 
with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a raising accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. For Michael's exercising his will to say that the Lord rebuked you. Right? Verse 8. Angels, as we've already said, are not material, just ether or gas. Angels are personality. Okay? Revelation 4, verse 8 tells us this. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is to Come. So, these a cherubim or a seraphim, living creatures, Revelation calls them living creatures. These are an angel of some kind. They're just called living creatures, iota. Okay? We'll talk about that in just a little bit. These living creatures who are angels, okay, of, of a certain kind, cry, Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. They are, then you could say, personalities. They are personages. They're not just uh, ether or gas. They have intelligence. They have will. They exercise that will and praise and worship unto the Lord. But they are not glorified human beings. Some people believe that angels are glorified human beings. They are not. Okay? They will never become glorified human beings, nor will you ever become an angel. I remember way back somewhere, somebody, when you go to heaven, you get your angel's wings, you know. Somebody said that. You, there's never a time when an angel ever becomes a glorified human being or a glorified human being ever becomes an angel. They never get wings. Well, some of you think you have some right now. But we've knocked them off a few times. So never, how many of you want your wings when you go to heaven? I'm sorry, you're not going to get any. But they are personalities. They are personages. They're not just gas. Okay? They have intelligence. They have will. They exercise that will. Amen. Okay? So praise the Lord. Colossians 1.16. Now, the Bible is clear, though, even though we do not become an angel, that we are like them. We will be like them. They're invisible. Colossians 1, 16. Again, reference where the Lord is making the heavens and the earth. Visible and invisible realm. Colossians is always trying to find stuck off in the New Testament somewhere. What page are you on now? What is it? 272? Well, brother, you have the same kind of Bible I do, so I can use that. If you don't have the same kind of Bible I have, then I can't use that. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, 272. 
verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things are created by him and for him. Okay? So angels are invisible, but remember, they can become visible when they go through that spirit transformation. Okay? Then why can't we see them right now? First of all, in the heavenly realm, the eternal realm, they're invisible. So I'm in that, I live in the natural realm. I can't see them because I'm in the natural realm. Also, because there's a veil of sin on my eyes. But I still have an old fallen nature. But when that veil of sin is lifted, when I get a glorified body, you and I, you'll be able to see angels all the time. Okay? All right, let's talk about their character. I'm going to go real fast here. Character of angels. Number one, they worship. Psalm 103, verse 20, Hebrews 1, verse 6. They worship. And always direct worship to God. Anytime anybody tried to worship an angel, the angel stopped them from worshiping them. And they always directed the worship to God with exceptions. And the exception is fallen angels will receive worship. Okay? If it's a true, holy angel of God, they will always reject that worship and direct that worship to God. So if you get an appearance of some uh, angel in your home or whatever and they're standing there and you fall down and you start worshiping them and they accept your worship, you've got a demon on your hands. They always direct your worship to God. Okay? They obey God immediately. Of course, in Jude 6, we saw some that did not obey God. Those are fallen angels that did not obey God. But the, fall, the angels, the holy angels of God, obey God immediately. Okay? Always. Uh, Matthew, let's go to Matthew. Matthew 6. this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in where? Heaven. So this is very clear that in heaven where the angels reside the will of God is always done. Okay? Only fallen angels do not obey the will of God. But holy angels obey God instantly, immediately. Okay? unquestioning. They never question God and they be obeyed immediately. And hence, okay, obviously in Jude 6 we have a reference to angels that did. They left their first estate. They left their habitation. That means they chose not to obey the will of God. And when they did that, the Lord removed them. So instant, immediate, unquestioned obedience. Uh, they are wise. Now, Ephesians 3, 9 through 10, when you have time, you can read this. They are very wise. But 
they increase in wisdom with time. They're not like God, who is omniscient, knows all things, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere present. With me? God knows all things. He's everywhere present. He's all-powerful. Angels are not all-powerful. They don't know all things, and they're not everywhere present. Only God has that quality. But they are very, very wise, and their wisdom comes with time. So that through the thousands and thousands of years that they've existed, they have gained wisdom by being with the wise God. As God, you know, displaces wisdom, especially through the church, the angels are watching the church. Okay? Brought you on a stage, and those angels are watching the church every day. And they are gaining wisdom. They're learning about the manifold wisdom of God. So they're very wise but they're always increasing in wisdom all the time. Okay? They have knowledge. Mark 13, 32. Let's just go there real fast. For that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Which clearly teaches us that angels have knowledge, but they don't have all knowledge. Again, just like in the earth wisdom, angels are always increasing in wisdom, so are they always increasing in knowledge. Okay? They are meek. Going back to Michael, the archangel. By the way, Michael is the only one that's called an archangel in the Bible. But it is believed that Gabriel is, a, is an archangel and that Lucifer was an archangel. We taught that to you last Sunday. But only Michael is called an archangel. In Jude 9, Michael, the archangel, and contending for the body of Moses, How does he contend? Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring an accusation, bring against them a raiding accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Okay, so this teaches you that angels. Now, they're not weak. Angels are very powerful. And Michael is very powerful. But this shows you the meekness of the angels. Right? He didn't bring a raiding accusation against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. So angels are meek. Uh, does that make sense to you? Therefore, they're humble. They're humble. Angels, true angels of God, are meek. They're humble. They're not prideful. Only fallen angels are prideful and lack humility. That's what caused the devil to fall, was his pride. So when you see Michael, he is meek, he's humble, and he has pride. But the Lord will be Okay? Very strong. They are very strong. 
go to 17, 1935. Very strong. Verse 35, 17, 19. It came to pass that that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead horses. So an angel, the angels of God are very powerful. They are very strong. So all he says is one angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians in the Assyrian camp. Okay? And what was the background? Well, God did this to defend Hezekiah. Syrians are gathered there, and in order to defend Hezekiah, God sent one angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians in one camp. Okay? So you think about it, um, I think Odessa's got around 200,000 people in it now, maybe a little more than that. But one angel came and wiped out the whole, like, the whole city of Odessa in one night. So they are very, very powerful and very strong. They are holy. Revelation 14 10. to drink of the wine, the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Okay, the presence of the holy angels. Okay. They are holy, but their holiness is derived holiness. God is holy. And it says angels are holy. They, it's a holiness that has been derived and let me explain what I'm saying by that. Remember when Satan rebelled against God? And Revelation chapter 12 tells us that he drew a third part of the stars with him. So Satan was able to convince a third of the angels to rebel against God, exercise self-will against God, and God cast them out of heaven. Now, you have to understand that Satan wanted to overthrow the whole kingdom of heaven. He didn't want just a third of the angels to follow him in the rebellion. He wanted all the heavenly hosts to follow him in that rebellion. So, angels then were on a probationary period of time with God where they could exercise self-will against the will of God. When they were tempted by the devil, or the devil appealed to them to fall. The two-thirds of the angels that refused to rebel with the devil and give in to his appeal are now longer in, no longer in a probationary period of time. They are in a state of perfection. And that will never change. The holy angels will never, there will never be rebellion in heaven ever again. Ever. Okay? But once they once they made it through that uh, rebellion of Satan and his appeal for them to fall with him, they overcame that. They derived a, a state of holiness. And you don't ever have to worry about the holy angels or 
rebellion going on ahead and ever again. They are in a state of perfection now. Does that make sense? Thank God for that. Patience. They are patient. Glad for your patience. I'm really glad that they're sinless perfection now. I mean, they are perfect. They are sinless perfection now, which means they cannot fall. They can't fall. Okay, that's the state they're in. They're in a state of being holy unto God. Okay, you're in me so far, and we'll talk about patience in just a minute. But think about Adam and Eve. When they were when they were created by God, they were not created holy. In the initial creation of man by God, they were innocent. They were placed in the garden in a state of innocence in a probationary period of time. Satan made appeal to them to fall in that state of innocence. Does that make sense? Had they said no to Satan's appeal, had they resisted Satan's temptation, they would mankind would have entered into a state of holiness, sinless perfection, without the ability to fall. That's what would have happened if Adam would have said no. We would be a totally different world. We would be a totally different people. It would be impossible for you to fall, impossible for you to sin. Okay? And that's where the angels are right now. When they succeeded in that time of probation and not going with the devil. So now they are in sinless perfection, unable to fall. That's what it means that they're holy. Okay, they're patient. Uh, Matthew 18. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven your angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. This teaches the patience of the angels. Go to number 22 in the Old Testament. Number 22. All right, come here with Balaam in the Old Testament. Riding on the back of the donkey. The angel took to kill him. And the donkey sees the angel. And the donkey smashes his foot up against the wall. Because then Balaam gets all mad at this donkey. Well, the donkey just saved the guy's life. The angel could have took him out. Number 22, 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. The ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her in the way. The angel of the Lord threw the path of the vineyards, the wall being on this side, the wall on that side. The asses saw the angel of the Lord. She thrust herself on the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. He smote her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. There was no way to 
turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. Balaam's angel was kindled with a kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. The Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and he said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee? If thou hast smitten me these three times. Balaam said unto the end of the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there for a sword in my hand, for now I would have killed thee. The ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden? Ever since I was thine unto this day, was I ever want to do so unto thee? He said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his sword drawn in his hand. He bowed his head down his head and fell flat on his face. Okay? The angel's very patient. You know? He's just trying to get his donkey to go around him. Because of his ways, the donkey stops. What a human story. And he go to beat this donkey, you know, and the donkey takes off. He says, What I do to you, you deserve this. I've always been a good donkey to you. So you're doing this to me. And really, it's the patience of the angel. Because the persistence of Balaam to do his own thing, you know, to go against the will of God, that angel standing there, he could have killed him. But he didn't. Patience. Modesty, 1 Corinthians 11 10. Are you turn there? Angels are very patient. In fact, the Bible tells us often that they are standing in the presence of God, they are waiting on the Lord. They don't get all, ex- you know, they don't get nervous. They don't get, oh, I gotta go do something. You know, I, my people are in church on Sunday morning. I gotta get up. I gotta go over here. Uh, wandering around. Okay? You gotta wander the rest of them. Go ahead. That's alright. Some people are just so full of nervous energy. They can't wait. They just gotta be getting up, work, walking around, wandering around. You know? Well, angels are not like that. They'll stand in the presence of God and they'll just wait, 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 patiently, wait, wait, patiently, wait. Look out there for you, son. You're around some angels. All right, you're very familiar with the passage, First Corinthians chapter 11. It talks about the reason why women don't cut their hair, and why men why men do. Okay, that is modesty. First Corinthians 11 and verse 10. We don't have time to read the whole thing. You can read it on your own. For this cause of the woman to have power on her head because of the angel. Whole context is the woman is not to cut her hair because of the angel. When the angels see a woman that does not cut her hair, they know that woman, it's her will, is in submission to the will of the Lord. When a woman starts cutting her hair off, that is a sign to God and to the angels that she is no longer under submission. Submission. Okay? So these angels context, it says, we, the women, don't cut their hair because of the angels, because angels are modest. And when women don't cut their hair, they are showing modesty, and they are showing submission unto God. Okay? Does that make sense? So you sisters out there who don't cut your hair, 
you have power with angels. First Corinthians thirteen. And I'm not going to get into that because you know what it is. First Corinthians thirteen one, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become of a sounding bass and speaking symbols. So here we have the reality that angels speak. They have tongues. Okay? They don't speak in tongues like we do. But they have tongues. These angels, though, they don't just speak in angelic tongues. They have tremendous ability so that if God sends an angel, say, to a Chinese man, that angel has the ability to speak the language of that Chinese man. That same angel might be speak, uh, might be sent to Mexico and, and speak to somebody there that speaks the Hispanic language, all right? That angel doesn't have to learn the language. That angel has the ability to speak many languages, has the ability to speak, to communicate with man. doesn't matter what the language that they speak. Tremendous ability angels. Okay? They do also have the ability to speak angel thoughts. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? They have great joy. Job 38, verse 7, we talked about this. I'll turn there. The Bible talks about the sons of God shouted for joy when God laid the foundation of the earth. They had joy, they had great joy in this. Their clothing. How are they clothed? Revelation 16. Well, they're always seen clothed in white raiment. another sign in heaven, great marvelous, seven angels having seven last plates, being in the wrath of God. I saw as it were a sea of glass, on and on and on goes. Verse 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plates clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Okay. So angels are seen wearing white. They are seen wearing garments of light white garments, they're like the garments of light. So they stand in the presence of God, you know. Can you imagine standing in unapproachable light constantly? They get their light from God. So here John sees in the book of Revelation dressed in this white raiment. They are like light. They're like transparent and pure before God Almighty. Okay? That's the word that's there. Okay, let's go through the titles. Almost done. Trouble not getting you to sleep. They're called watchers in Daniel 4, 13 through 23. Watchers. So angels, in the sense that they watch, is like they look at the earth as a human theater. They have the ability to look down and see us, uh, see what's going on in the earth. They are watchers. It literally means that they're observant. 
okay? The word watcher also means vigilance. So they are very vigilant and they are very observant as to what is going on in the earth, okay? Called watchers. And these watchers oftentimes bring messages, messages from God to men, the watchers. They are called Elohim. Psalm 8, 5, we've already covered this. This term is used of angels, which means they're God-like. It's also used of men, uh, which is also a characteristic that we are God-like. Okay? Let's go to Psalm 82, verse 6. Here he speaks of men as angels, uh, Elohim. Uh, Psalm 82, verse 6, I said, Ye are gods, and all of you are the children of the Most High. Then you know, Jesus quotes this in the Gospel of John. So he's speaking of men. So not only are angels called Elohim, Psalm 8, verse 5, but men are called Elohim, Psalm 82, verse 6. Okay? The God like. They are the host of God. The host of God. Let's just think real fast. The heavenly host. Okay. They, when, they, when they're called the host of God, they are the uh, armies of God in heaven, like the heavenly host. They're called saints, Jude 14 which simply means holy ones. Men are called saints as well in the Bible. The saints, holy ones, we've already covered that. They are ministering spirits. Hebrews 1, 13 through 14, we talked about that last week. Ministering spirits. They are mediators, but they're not mediators. There's only one mediator between God and man, that's the man Christ Jesus. So they never take on a daysman uh, role or a mediator role or an umpire kind of a role. They are intermediaries. They come and they minister to men, whatever that need might be. Okay? They are flames of fire. Psalm 104, verse 4. Hebrews also talks about that they are flames of fire. This speaks of God's holiness. That fire is the holiness of God. But when they are seeing the flame of fire, the holiness of God burning against sin, they always burn. They are called the elect, 1 Timothy 5, 21. And obviously, we're talking about the, the holy angels or the elect because the fallen angels are no longer considered the elect of God. It's only the holy angels that are considered the elect of God. All right, hear me? It's important for us as a church to understand too. You are the elect of God as long as you are not fallen. Okay. They're called the sons of God. Job 1 6, Job 2 1, Job 38, verse 7. And they're called the sons of God because they were created by God, not begotten by God. Now we're sons of God because we have been born again. We are begotten from above. We're born from above. Correct? 
but we're created by God, but we're also born again. We're begotten. Angels are not begotten. They're created. And because they're created, they're called sons of God. Okay, morning stars. They're called morning stars. Job 38.7, I'll read that to you. Okay. Lucifer means what? Day star. Okay, light bearer or day star. Okay, so before his fall, he was like a this. He's a morning star, a day star before his fall, uh, but now obviously he is a falling star. It talks about the morning stars, they're like stars of light. Okay. Uh, sons of the mighty or mighty ones, Psalm 89, verse 6, Psalm 29, verse 1. Called angels, Hebrews 12:22, but he means messengers, princes. With me, they're called princes. These are titles. Daniel 10:13, 12:1, princes. Now, when they're called princes, the designation is in Daniel 10 specifically that they're princes over nations. So, when that term is used of an angel as a prince, that means they have authority. Or for over normally a, a, a nation. Okay, does that make sense? Geographical locations that God has placed certain angels over. Okay? Princes. Now, Satan is the prince over the world system. He's not just a prince over one nation, he's a prince over the whole world system. And under him, in the fallen realm, We've got other princes that are over nations under him. Okay? So God has holy angels involved in those principalities. Thrones. Colossians 1.16. They're called thrones, which simply means they have a legal assignment. They are involved in rulership for God. Colossians 1.16. You either have the princes or you would have okay, nations. Thrones, rulership, regal, underneath that, dominion, Colossians 1.16. Dominion means lordships. Or they have a source, there's a source of influence. Now these dominions can have influence over distinct people or even nations. Right? Underneath the dominion you have powers. Colossians 1.16. That means authority and administrations. So underneath those, you have these lesser authorities, so on and so forth. Now, angelic beings are also called seraphim. Isaiah 6. Maybe some of y'all are waiting for me to touch on this. When we touched on the archangels last Sunday, but here in Isaiah chapter 6, we have an angelic being that is called a seraphim. Okay? Now, seraphim, the word seraph, seraphim literally means burning ones. And these, these seraphim, the Bible is very clear where their location is. Their location is above the throne of God. Their focus, the seraphim's focus, is the holiness of God. Because they cry, holy, holy, holy. 
Lord God Almighty. So their focus is the holiness of God and worship of God. They are above the throne of God. And Isaiah 6, go there. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, the throne, stood the seraphims. Each one of them had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. One cried as to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay? So these burning ones, their focus is worship and the holiness of God. Their location is above the throne of God. Two wings cover their feet. That speaks of holy service. With two wings, they cover their face. That speaks of holy reverence. And with two wings, they did fly. That speaks of holy service unto God. Uh, fly. No, the will of God. Has to do with the will of Okay? Give me at this point. You all say praise the Lord. Cherubim. Let's go to Ezekiel 1. Angels. Called cherubim. Or cherubim. The cherub. And then the cherubim. Ezekiel 1. Now, their location is not above the throne. Their location is under the throne. They're the Merkabah. They are the chariot of God. So, Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 1. It came to pass in third. 30th year in the fourth month, the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, as the heavens were open, I saw visions of who? God. Verse 5. All sort of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Everyone had four faces. All four of these creatures had four faces. Now, what were the four faces? Verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, and the face of a lion, and the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. Okay? So these cherubim, the location of the cherubim, but by the way, the word cherubim is loosely translated guard, the ones that guard or guardians. So the focus of the cherubim is to guard the throne of God. And they are known as the Merkabah, which means they are the chariot of God. So the throne of God is above them. Now if you look in the mercy seat in the tabernacle, God is seated above them. Okay? So, the cherubim's location is under the throne. They are the chariot of God. And their focus is guarding the throne. The word loosely translated uh, to guard. This describes that each one of them have these faces. Okay? It goes this one of them have the face of a man, another one the face of a lion, another one the face of the ox, another one the face of an eagle. Every one of those four 
cherubim that are around the throne, all of them have four faces. The face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a beast. Okay? Now, cherubim are very interesting. Uh, they're seen in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. Go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. Okay, in Ezekiel chapter 1, what did uh, Ezekiel say he had? He had a vision of God. Correct? What did verse 5 say? Okay, let me go back there. Go to place in Revelation. It's real important for you. Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 1, he had visions of God. This is connected to the throne of these living creatures around him. And then at the end of verse 5, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, singular. But then he describes their face. They've got four faces. So we have visions of God, and their likeness was the likeness of a man. So number one, these cherubim, are symbolic of the Godhead. They are symbolic of when God becomes a man. Ezekiel 1, visions of God, and then he says they have the appearance, vision, of a man. So, so they are teaching you symbolically about the Godhead or God coming in human form. You with me so far? Okay. In Revelation chapter 4, see the division of the throne of God once again. John sees it. Verse 1. Let me just get there real quick. Are you there? I'm almost done. I promise you. After this, I looked and behold, the door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking to me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Okay? So what do we have? John is caught up in the spirit. Does that mean he's just had a vision? No, he was caught up in the spirit. Evidently, okay, his body changed in a, in a transformation. He went from a physical body to a spirit body. Transformation. It wasn't just that John was in a vision. He was literally caught up in the spirit. His body changed so that he was able to see what he saw. He was literally in the heaven. Okay? Now, he begins to see the throne of God as he's in the Spirit. Verse 3, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper starting throne. There was rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had in their heads crowns of gold. He talks about out of the throne, thunders and lightnings, voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Okay? Verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like of the living creatures like sea of glass like of the crystal and in the midst of the throne round about the throne were four beasts or literally four living creatures. Ayot. Okay? Full of eyes before and behind. 
And the first piece was like a lion, second piece like a calf, third piece like a basically an ant, fourth piece is like a flying eagle. Where have we seen that before? Ezekiel chapter 1. Okay? Now, here in Revelation they are called living creatures. But they are described with the same faces. You understand? In Ezekiel chapter 1, it says they had four wings. In Revelation chapter 6, it says they have six wings. Now, they're not called cherubims here. They're called living creatures. But they are described as looking the same as the cherubim of Ezekiel. With me? Okay. Look at verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. They rest not night and day. And holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was, is, and is to come. With me? Okay. 6 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come. Correct? With me now? If you are, say praise the Lord. Revelation 5, verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Who did? The four beasts and the twenty-four elders. These four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell before the throne, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of water, which are the prayers of and they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. That is something angels don't do. Angels cannot sing the song of redemption. Okay? So number one, these cherubim, Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, are a symbol of the Godhead. Okay? God coming in the form of a man. The Bible tells us that this is the express image of God. Number two, they are symbolic of the redeemed. They're symbolic of the church. Okay? Now, then who are they? Well, we have the seraphim above the throne. We have the cherubim below the throne. In Revelation, they're called living ones. They are around the throne, like the seraphim and the cherubim. They're associated with the throne. They're involved with, the living creatures in Revelation, involved with the worship and the holiness of God. They're involved in bringing about the judgments of God upon the earth. They are also involved in the redemption of man. And they are symbolically seen as the redeemed of the Lord, because they sing the song of the What I'm trying to show you is this. Is that when you start interpreting the Bible, it's large. So we have three things we need to ask here. Okay? We know the seraphim above the throne, Isaiah 6. We know the cherubim are below the throne. They're the chariots carrying God. We know the cherubim are associated with the throne, the holiness of God. We know the seraphim above the throne are associated with the holiness and worship of God, and we see the living creatures, are they the same? 
Are they the same as the cherubim we preach with? Or are they the seraphim by their six? Or are they a different altogether? You have the seraphim above the throne, the burning ones associated with the holiness and worship of God, and the cherubim associated with guarding the throne. Okay? And then the living creatures around the throne. Are they the same? I don't know if they're the same. Okay? But it could be you have the seraphim above the throne, the cherubim under the throne, and these living creatures around the throne, and they're very similar. Revelation. What's important for you to see is that, number one, these cherubim are a separate and totally distinct angel from the seraphim. Or they are symbolic of the Godhead. Or they are symbolic of the redeemed of the Lord. They sing the song of the redeemed that angels do not do. Which I believe is you know, possibly all three. Maybe in movement. In movement, because they're all associated with the And I said all three correct. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it could be that they're seraphim. It could be that they are the cherubim as well. You just see them in, in different functioning roles. Or it could be that you have a distinct order of angels, cherubim, distinct order of angels, seraphim, and a distinct order of angels, living creatures. Get into the book of Revelation, the book of the consummation, the consummate, it interprets seraphim in the prophecy. So it's very clear to me that these angels are symbolic of the image of God who's sitting on the throne. And they are symbolic of the redeemed of the Lord. Okay, because they sing the song of the redeemed. And they're involved in bringing about the judgments of God on the earth, so on and so forth. Very powerful. I don't know if you remember when we went to one time we went out here and we had a service with GLC. We took the church out there and we had that service with GLC and it was broadcasted. This is what we preached on Ezekiel chapter 1. And I preached about how these living creatures are a type of the church. And I went through all of the description of the living creatures and explained how it's a type of the church. Okay? We had a powerful move of God over there in GLC. I don't know if you remember that. Okay. So you need to see the scripture as a whole. That, you know, well, that's just talking about the cherubim, Pastor. It has nothing to do with the church. Yes, it does. Because they sing the song of the redeemed. Angels don't do that. There's some things that are a mystery, like ticks, when it comes to angels. So at this point, what I'm trying to establish is that the seraphim, if they are distinct, the cherubim, the cherubim, and the creatures are distinct from them. These are titles of angels, and they serve different roles and different functions. Anybody have any questions? If I can give you some scriptures here, symbolic of the Godhead, God in flesh, uh, visions of God, one one, the likeness of a man, one five. Hebrews one says this is the express image. is the express image of God. So their focus is, okay, you're with me? Their focus is the one that's sitting on the throne. Their focus is the one who's God come in flesh, the express image of God. Therefore, 
in relationship to redeemed humanity, their focus is the restoration of humanity into the image of God. Because their focus is on the image of God who's sitting on the throne. And all of those who have been restored back to the image of God, the redeemed of the world. Revelation 5 9, thou hast redeemed us, they said. Symbolic of the redeemed saints. The Bible says God is seated above the cherub, 1 Samuel 4 4. Psalm 99, verse 1, and Psalm 80, verse 1. Seated above the cherubim. Isaiah 6, 2 says that the seraphim are above the throne. And in Revelation, tells us that these living creatures are round about the throne. Revelation 14, verse 3. We have these living creatures in Revelation also witness the song of the 144,000. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the earth. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the All right, praise the Lord. So that basically deals with the tithes of the angels. Now, when you talk about the ministry of angels, the Old Testament is full of the ministry of angels. The New Testament is full of the ministry of angels. Okay? But to teach on everything the Bible has to say on angels, it would take us a long time. You go through the Bible and uh, you do some study around that yourself, okay? Uh, what is their destiny? What is the destiny of angels? Where will they be? Eternally. Revelation 21. Talking about the New Jerusalem. Had a great wall. High at 12 gates. And at the gate, 12 angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of 12 tribes of Israel. The children of Israel. So we have these angels standing at the twelve gates in heaven in New Jerusalem. This moves you into the eternal state in the book of Revelation. And what you see then is that if you move into the eternal state, angels will always be throughout eternity. Okay? They will not cease to exist. They have a destiny. And what will they be doing in eternity? Serving the Lord. Right? If they are involved in service at all. I don't know. I'm not saying that. But I do know that they will be here forever and ever. And on into the eternal state. Now, fallen angels will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil when he's judged. And we'll talk about the judgment of the devil when we get into the doctrine of, of demonism, so on and so forth, and the devil. We'll explain that to you. But he will be cast. There will be a judgment specifically on the devil at a specific time. Okay? Where he will be judged, and all of those angels that exercise self will against God 
they will be judged just enough and they will So the destiny of the holy angels is the heavenly cities. And no doubt, not just the heavenly city, but they will still be in principalities and powers and dominions and all of these various ruling uh, administration aspects of the kingdom of God throughout eternity forever. Does that help you? All right. We can go further next week in the angels, but I think you know, unless the Lord gets passion and leads me to go further, this is where we will end our study of doctrine. Father God, we thank you right now for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We ask God that your blood to cleanse us right now of all sin. Thank you, Lord, that we can stand in your presence today. God, we ask that your will would be done in and through us in our life. We thank you for what you've already done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at prayer. Prayer meetings at 530. See you at 530 prayer. You're dismissed.